just want to introduce my brother. Uh, uh, I love Scott so much, man. Like, he, I mean, he planted the seed. He's been walking with me uh, uh, since God called us to do ministry together. And he's been faithful and just an ever-present. And I know that a lot of things that I do, uh, I wouldn't be able to do without him. So without further ado, I want to introduce Scott Parker, who's going to be getting the word of the Lord today. And I pray that y'all receive it in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, test, test. Is this working? Okay. So we're, we're going to go through the book of Jonah uh, over the next five or six weeks, all right? Um, our goal at this church is to actually have a 25-minute sermon. And the reason we do that is because uh, so we have time to do what we did with our kids this morning. Uh, uh, we don't want to be a church where everything revolves around the microphone and the preaching. Uh, we want to be a church. Thanks. Um, we want to be a church where the Holy Spirit can move. And, uh, you know, when you look at the life of Jesus and you look at how he taught, you get the sense he's like hanging out with people, right? You know, he's not like going to stadiums and he's not, uh, you know, doing lectures at the colleges and the universities, right? He's like walking into towns, he's laying hands on people, and he's healing them, all right? And when the crippled guy that lived next door to you comes running home and says, somebody just healed me, you want to go check that out, right? Right? And so you go running to check it out. That's, that's how the church used to do ministry, all right? They didn't have big concerts and advertising campaigns. The way the church used to do ministry back in the day was they said, where are you sick people? We're going to heal them, all right? And when people got healed, uh, People started to notice, and now you got a crowd, and now you teach about the kingdom. And Jesus would often uh, do signs and wonders as he taught. All right? And so we believe that the part of, of bringing God's kingdom here is, is walking in that supernatural. And so when God says, hey, bring the kids up, we that's all I felt like we were supposed to do, bring the kids up. And then God hits Brother Jay, and he does what he does best, which is open up his father's arms to the children and the fatherless children in our neighborhood and grab a hold of them. All right, I'm going to skip a whole bunch of stuff, and I'm going to go right to what I want to uh, say. This is the, the meat of this message. So I think you all know the story of Jonah, right? God tells Jonah, go to Nineveh, tell them I'm going to destroy them. Jonah says, no, I don't want to. He gets on a ship. There's a storm. Uh, he goes to sleep at the bottom of the boat. The guys who are upstairs out on the deck looking at the storm, realizing they're about to die, realize this has something more to do 
than just a regular storm. Somebody must have done something to offend the gods. They go down, they get Jonah. They're like, aren't you a prophet? Will you come up here and pray for us, please? Then they draw, they draw lots. Jonah gets the short lot. They look at him. They're like, what is going on? Jonah's like, just throw me overboard, man. I'm so mad at God. I don't even want to be alive. Just throw me overboard. They're like, what? No, we can't throw a prophet overboard. We throw you overboard. God's going to be mad at us. He's like, no, he won't. He's mad at me. Throw me overboard. Everything will be fine. They throw him overboard, and everything's fine for them. Jonah starts to drown. He's just blah, blah, blah. He's going down. Uh, he actually says, I, I had seaweed wrapping around me. And all of a sudden, God sends a fish. The fish swallows him. And there is Jonah in the belly of a fish. Kind of a weird story. I know it's a weird story. I don't know if it's scientifically possible. I think it probably is. But there he is. You know, what's funny is uh, in, the, in, the, in the rabbinic tradition, they actually say Jonah wasn't uncomfortable enough in the first fish. And so that fish vomited him out. And he was swallowed by a female fish that was pregnant, so he'd be even more uncomfortable, so he'd finally repent and get on God's page. And they, they think that because the first word for fish is masculine and the second word for fish is feminine. And so Jonah is a stubborn guy, and, and God puts him in the fish. He finally says, look, God, you, you saved my life. You kept me from drowning. You're going to allow me to worship in your temple, the one true God one day, not like these heathens, not like these bad people who worship false gods who can't do anything for them. And uh, God says, okay, I think you got what I need you to get now. And Jonah is vomited out on the dry land. And then God says to him, now will you go to Nineveh? And Jonah says, yeah, I'll go. And so he goes to Nineveh. And now, you've got to understand, Jonah hates Nineveh, all right? And I think that's God's wisdom, all right? It's one thing to have someone compassionate come to you, say, man, God loves you. Will you just please repent and come into his kingdom? That's not who God sent to Nineveh. Jonah hated Nineveh. Jonah wanted Nineveh to be destroyed. He must have been one of the most angriest prophets anybody has ever seen. He probably was walking around going, you are dead. Forty days, you're done. God's going to do this to you and this to you, and then he's going to do this to you. And he, he just wants, he's telling him God's going to beat the mess out of you, guys. you got 40 days, and then you're no more, and we don't have to deal with you anymore. And he's going, up and down the street, and he's so angry at God anyways, he probably doesn't even care if anyone kills him. And so he's just in everybody's face. Hey, listen to me. I got swallowed by a whale. I got spit up on the dry ground. That's how bad God wants me here. You are going down, and I'm telling you that's the truth, and that's what Jonah is doing. All over Nineveh, it says it took him three days to get around the whole city, so everybody heard this story about this crazy man. And finally, it says that the king of Nineveh heard about this. And when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, 
He rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. And then he made this decree. He said, let people and animals be covered in sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. And maybe, maybe, God will yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Guys, that's a miracle, all right? That's a miracle. When you know who Nineveh was and you know how they worshiped their king, that he got off his throne is a miracle, all right? Nineveh was bad. They were a for real kind of bad, all right? Nineveh would come to your city, and they'd give you about five seconds to turn over the keys to your city, or they would start hacking people up. And they didn't play with this. They, want, they were like ISIS, for real, guys. They were like ISIS because they wanted everybody to know. When you came into Nineveh, when you came into the palace, hey, brother, when you came into the palace, they had, they had murals in the palace of people being flayed alive, piles of dismembered heads, all right? They wanted you to know, if you mess with us, this is what we do to you. That's how brutal their desire to conquer everybody was. They weren't just trying to conquer your nation. They were trying to conquer you. They wanted you scared of them. It's very, very similar to what happened in the South during slave times. It's very similar to how they would break the slaves down and, and dehumanize them and, and get them so that they they, they felt like um, they weren't even people anymore. So that, so that the, the master has you thinking, I own you. I own every moment of your day. There is not a single moment of your day, not a single hour, not a single second that I don't own. That is the king of Nineveh. And here's a guy, one man, one man, walks up in that city, tells them they're going down, and that king gets off his throne and repents. Sends out a decree. Says, we have got to change our wicked ways. Go let those people out of jail. Those men and women coming up to my bedroom tonight, Tell them to go home. No more drinking. We are going to get right with God. Otherwise, everything that we've done to everybody else is going to happen to us.
when I was thinking about this message, the thought that came to my mind was preaching a message about what kind of repentance does it take to save a city? What kind of repentance does it take to save a neighborhood or a household? And as I thought about that, you know, you know be honest, the reason I have this message in me is because at our early morning prayer in Lawndale, our citywide early morning prayer, 5 to 6.30, Pastor Sunday Buonhop from Englewood brought up Jonah, and God put in my spirit, he got off his throne. The repentance that can save a city is a repentance that gets you off your throne. That gets the, the, the rulers off their throne. He takes off his royal robes. He repents in sackcloth and ashes. To understand why that is so important, there's, okay, I'm going to try it for four things. I have five minutes. Oh, this is going to be interesting. All right, so, so number one, you have to understand that God establishes thrones. All right? You also have to understand that God gives each of us, in one sense, God gives each of us a throne. Each of us has a throne. That real repentance will always get you off of your throne. And if we have time, worship helps you keep your throne in its proper perspective. So just because we're a Bible-believing church and you guys are all smart, I have to show you in the Scripture what these points are, okay? So the first point is that God establishes thrones. You know, in the church, we don't like to talk about power, all right? Especially in the white church. In the white church, we don't even think we have power, all right? You got to go hang out in the black church to hear any preaching on power. All right, because there's something about when you haven't been given power, you start to notice who has it and who, who, who doesn't. But when you have the power, you just think everybody's got it, right? And so the white church, we get very uncomfortable when people start talking about power, all right? Because first of all, we don't think we have any. And second, there's something deep inside that says, I know what's about to happen next. You're going to try to take my power from me without deserving it. That's what, that's what we think, okay? But we're going to talk about power today because the Bible talks about power, all right? And we're not going to have a repentance that saves this city unless we deal with the reality that there is power in our lives, that there's a legitimate place of, that power has in a Christian's life, and we have to have a theology of power. If we don't, everything gets messed up. And Jonah's going to take us into this. This is what the Apostle Paul told uh, the philosophers on Mars Hill, all right? 
And he, he's mentioning, look, you got this thing called an, uh, an altar to an unknown God. And he says, I know that unknown God. You see, he made from one man, Adam, every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and boundaries and the boundaries of their habitation. This is very similar to Deuteronomy 32.8. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided all mankind, he set up boundaries for the people. And so what Scripture teaches us is that God established nations. You know, when, when, when Joshua got into the promised land, if you read your scripture, there's this whole description. It, it, if you don't live there, it doesn't make any sense to you. It, it's telling you what the borders were for each tribe. When Moses was traveling through the wilderness, he came to the land of Edom. Now, Moses is traveling with God, right? He's got the, the cloud by day and the fire by night. So God is with him, all right? He comes to Edom, and he says, hey, can we go through your territory? Can we go through your nation? We're, we're trying to get to the other side. Can we walk through your nation? Uh, we'll pay you for any food. We'll pay you for any water. Can we go? And Edom says, no, we don't want you here. He says, are you sure? Could we go? And he says, no, we don't want you here. And so God blows them up. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says Moses went around Edom. And God didn't tell him to do anything different. You know what that tells me? God honors boundaries. That's terrifying. Do you realize that God gives you a throne in your life? that there's territory in your life, that God, part of you being made in God's image means that you get to decide to do with, what, with your territory what you want? Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door, and what? What did he say? What? Knock. We serve a God who knocks. He doesn't force himself in. He honors our boundaries. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you will let me in, then me and my Father can have fellowship with you. You can have eternal life. God's not going to break your door down. That's not how God works. That's how the devil works. That's not how God works. He comes to Edom. Edom says, we don't want you here. He goes around. God honors the sovereignty of that nation. Jesus did the same thing. He, he's, he wants to go through a village in Samaria. Gets to the village. They say, look, you're on your way to Jerusalem. We don't like your people. Sorry, you can't be here. He says that to Jesus. That's the living God incarnate. He says that to Jesus. And the disciples are angry, man. I mean, he, they, they basically called them out their name, right? Like, they were like, you're no good, Bubba. The disciples are like, Jesus, hey, remember when Elijah brought down fire from heaven? Remember all those times fire came down from heaven when people did, and, and he sucked bears on people and all that kind of stuff? 
God, can we bring fire down from heaven on Samaria? And Jesus rebukes them. He rebukes them. He's like, you don't know what you're talking about. That's from the devil. That's not what I'm about. We're just going to head on to another village. See, guys, God respects your boundaries. And brothers and sisters in Christ, the church, we have got to respect other cultures and nations and tribes. We have to respect their boundaries. In, 14, in the 1400s, the Catholic Church put out a decree. It's called a papal decree or a papal decree. I'm not sure how to say it, but they put out a decree. Uh, they created what is called the Doctrine of Discovery. All right? So the Christian church, not the Christian church, it was a pretend Christian church, but the church said to all of Europe, all the white folks in Europe, anywhere you go, if they're not Christian, it's yours. That's what God says. Anywhere you go, it's yours. And if they won't repent and become Christian, it's okay. You can kill them. You can make them slaves. They're not even really people. You can do whatever you want. And that was the birth of white supremacy in the world. And we're living with it today. 700 years later, we're still living with it in the city of Chicago. And that was done in the name of Jesus. Woe to us. Woe to us if we as a church do that same thing. When we come into this community or any community, we come like Jesus. We knock. We acknowledge the throne that has been established there already. We knock. The best we will ever do, the hardest we'll ever come is like Jonah. Look, judgment is coming. Repent. That's the most that God gives us ever to do. When Peter, when, when the people came to get Jesus, Peter pulled out a sword, chopped somebody's ear off, and, and, and Jesus said, stop. Stop. That's not the kind of kingdom I have. Mine's not a sword kingdom. Mine's not a, I'm mightier than you, I'm coming after you, you got to do what I tell you to do, kingdom. What does Jesus do? He picks up the dude's ear, sticks it back on his head, heals it. All right, take me now to crucify me. That's the God we serve. That's the God we serve. He builds his kingdom by healing cut-off ears. That's the people we're supposed to be. So, what each of us needs to know then is that when we come into a community, we have to honor the throne that's in that community. We need to honor the principal that works at this school. We need to honor the families that live here. They have boundaries in their life. They have territory. We knock when we go to them. And we respect their culture, their values. All right? This white supremacy thing led in the, 17, the 1800s, 1900s to this doctrine of 
Right. Kill the Indian, save the child. And so the, the mission organizations in Australia, in, in the, the Native American areas, the First Peoples Nations of, of this country, their mission strategy was to take children from people and put them in a school and kill off all of their culture in order to save them. And it turned out that it also included them being raped because nobody cared enough about those folks to make sure that there weren't predator priests who were taking care of them. Well, after all that's happened, try to be a Christian and go to those people and say, Jesus loves you. You better come with signs and wonders because they're going to look at you and be like, man, if that's how Jesus loves me, you can keep your Jesus. Church, we knock. That's what we do. We knock. And if they don't open the door, we come back a little later and we knock again. And if they don't open the door, we go down the street, we knock on their neighbor's door, and we heal the people that are there, and we introduce them to Christ, and they change their lives, and then they can go knock on the neighbor's door that, that, that knows them. That's, when, that's why Jesus said, when you go into a town, find a place of peace. Find a house of peace and go and, and be there and heal the people there and teach them about the kingdom because they know everybody else. If you're cool with them, if you're cool with them, you're going to be cool with everybody, right? That's what happened to me when I came to this neighborhood. I got cool with one family. All of a sudden, I was cool with, like, the whole gang and everybody. One family. That's all I needed to reach. That's how we're going to do it in this neighborhood. And the reason I'm saying this, guys, is because what God has put in, a, in our heart is, is a heart for each one of these open seats. Each of these open seats are a throne. They represent somebody's life and somebody's kingdom and somebody's territory out in this community. And our job is to go and invite them to know the king of all thrones, right? And so the problem with Nineveh was they had conquest on their mind. The problem with Nineveh is they weren't satisfied with their throne. They were deceived. They thought they had the one true God and that every throne belonged to them. Has anyone in here ever seen The Wire? Anybody seen The Wire? Four people. Okay, maybe it's not worth it. Well, anyways, there's a gang guy in The Wire called Marlo. All right? And he just, he's just cold, man. He just shoot anybody. And, uh, and, and so he's rising up in power. And Marlowe is only about being number one. That is his whole thing. That's what drives him. And every day he goes into, like, the corner store, like Eddie's or something like that, and he takes a sucker, and he puts it in his pocket, and he walks out. Well, there's a security guard there, and he watches him do it every day, and he knows he can't really mess with Marlowe because, like, the two scariest guys 
in the neighborhood or across the street in his car, and they'll just track him down one night and shoot him. He knows that's what's going to happen if he confronts Marlo, but he does it anyways. And so he comes up to Marlo, and he says, he said, hey, man, how come you're going to disrespect me like that, man? Can't, can't we just respect one another? I mean, we're, we're both brothers here in the neighborhood. Can't we just respect each other? Why you got to do me like that, man? And Marlo says to him, man, you think it's one way, but it's not that way. It's another. And that's because Marlo is one of those twisted human beings that actually thinks that everything he looks at belongs to him. Does that sound like anybody you know of in the Bible? Right? The story is Lucifer, the morning star, the greatest angel that God had ever created, led worship for God. And after a while, he started looking at the throne of God, and he started saying, man, that throne looks nicer than the throne I've got. I think I should be in charge of everything. And that's why when the devil gets in, folks, they start thinking they own everything, and they're stepping over everybody's boundaries. That's Harvey Weinstein, man. That's what that is about. That is that deception where you think your throne is the throne, and then you just start killing people. You start doing whatever it takes to get everybody's throne. And beware, people, beware of any church that's got conquests like that on its heart. All right? Beware of any church that thinks they don't need to knock. All right? That's dangerous. Stay away from that. Otherwise, you're going to end up like those people that are killing the Indian and trying to save the child. And so the only way, the only way to do this right is, is so, so here's the thing. All of us have power. All right? You guys have power. You, you, have, you have a place that God's put you in charge of. Everybody in here has power. And what God is coming to us and saying is, what are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? I, mean, I look at Godfrey Franklin. And I look at every Sunday. His children are here with them, serving in this church. That's a man who's been faithful in teaching, raising up his children in the way they should go. He was a big part of Pastor Rob's life. I look at Tasha. Did you know Tasha met Pastor Rayan when he was a little boy running the streets and she invested in him? That's why when these babies came up here today, Tasha's heart was for them. She remembers. She's seen those bad little kids become pastors. My wife is at Howard Area Community Center. She's been there teaching GED for like 10 years. And we don't make a lot of money doing that. And she's been faithful there. And then she went for the coordinator job. And now she's serving 
not just uh, the GED side, but the ESL side, and all the teachers who are teaching both. And that's why Ann is here today. That's how we met Ann. Moon has a throne, and she's using it for God's kingdom. Brother Jay, oh my goodness. An answer to 20 years of prayer, this man. All right? Do you know what Brother Jay means? Guys, I, I'm not going to tell all his business, but if, if you hear his story, Brother Jay's got everything against him you can have against you to make it in the United States of America. He's got it against him. All right? But because he is filled with the Holy Spirit, because when God said, I'm giving you this throne, will you be faithful with it? When he stepped into that and he was faithful with it, it changed this entire neighborhood. I've been here 20 years trying to do it. I prayed. I, I, I'm going to take some credit. I prayed. I prayed God would send him. All right, not him, somebody. And then I found out it was him. But he stepped into what God had for him, and it changed the neighborhood. And he's got everything against him that says he shouldn't be able to do that. He didn't ask anybody's permission. God told him to do it, and he hit the block and the next thing I know, I'm sitting in his living room, and all the gang guys I've ever ministered to are sitting up in his living room, listening to the word of God, being preached to them more powerfully, more, uh, more culturally relevant to them than I ever was able to do. Guys, what is your throne? Are you, are you taking up your throne? See, there's two things. There's two things we need to repent of when it comes to thrones. One is if you're trying to get everybody else's throne, all right? That takes a weird kind of crazy to be that kind of person, all right? That's sociopathic. That's not most of us in here. Maybe we're trying to grab one person's throne. That's, you know, I'd rather have your throne than my throne. Maybe we struggle with that a little bit, all right? But I would say, especially in this community, the biggest problem is that we're not using our throne for anything. And this is what that supremacy, that doctrine of discovery has done to our community. We have $10 million that come into this community every year to pay mostly people who aren't from this community to help people in this community. I mean, just divide up the, co the community take the 10 million, split it, pay it to the people, everybody will buy a house, and I think maybe we'll be done, all right? There is, a, a, there is a learned hopelessness, a learned powerlessness that has happened in this community, and this community, that is why we've got to knock here. We absolutely have to knock here. Because one of the things that needs to be repented in this community, and praise God for Brother Jay, because he's, he's someone who God has pulled out from among that and, and, and made an example. Look what happens. When you stop worrying, stop waiting, 
for someone to come and help you and you just get with what God's got for you. Now, that doesn't mean if you're, if you're getting help, that's a bad thing. It just means what has God given you? Are you giving it all you have? Have you abdicated your throne? Or are you sitting in it and ruling in it and being faithful with it? And that's what we need to teach people who come to this church. That's what we're going to teach them. And so the key to this, guys, it's just real simple. The key to, to being faithful with your throne is getting off of it and then getting back on it. And what I mean by that is the king of Nineveh has judgment coming at him. He realizes, I've blown it. I've done it wrong. I need to get off my throne. I need to acknowledge that this throne doesn't belong to me. God established that throne. I just got to sit in it for a while. If you never get out of your throne, you start to think that that position is who you are. You start to think that that position is why you have what you have. You start to think that that position is why you're important, but it's not. That's why you have to get off the throne and you have to understand, you, you, you have to bow down before who? The king of what? Kings. The king of kings. He's not just the king. He's the king of kings because he gives people thrones. But he's the higher authority. And so we have to get off our throne when we repent. And we have to take a look. God, what have I been doing with what you gave me? What have I been doing with my kids? Am I being faithful to our... Am, are we taking care of the children in this neighborhood? Are we using our gifts and our talents to, to be a blessing or... Or are we just sitting in the chair feeding ourselves? Amy, you can come up now. When you repent and you get off your throne, because judgment's coming, you're saying to God, I don't deserve the throne. Someone else should probably have it. I've blown it. Every once in a while, God will say, no, get, get back on that throne. That's what Jesus did with Peter. Peter thought he was the man. And then he denied Christ three times. And, and, and Christ came to him and restored him to his place of authority. And Peter was the one who preached the very first, very first sermon where people got saved and came into the church. Guys, we need, we need to occasionally get off our throne and repent. But on a regular basis, on a regular basis on every Sunday, the reason we come and we worship is because as we worship, we, we get off our throne 
and we, we get on our knees and we pledge once again to, to serve the Most High God, to give Him the praise and to give Him the glory. And as you do that, you begin to realize that I'm not somebody because I have a position. I'm not somebody because of what I do or who has to listen to me or, or who I'm over. I'm somebody because of who loves me. I'm somebody because of who I can praise and who I can worship. And so I, I pray that every day you are alive, that you are getting off your throne for a while and you're getting on your knees and you're worshiping the King of Kings and you're giving him glory and your family is seeing you do it. Because as you make his name great, he can trust you with that throne. It says in the book of Revelations, and then we're going to sing together. And so please stand up, guys. Get up off your chair. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives there forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne, and they say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being.